You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Being a parent can be a roller coaster ride. One moment you're elated and in love with your child, thinking it's the best thing that's ever happened to you, and the next minute you can feel stressed, incompetent, and frustrated more than you have ever in your life. The most stressful time of my day is usually around five o'clock after work, trying to cook dinner while my children are crying, fighting, and demanding my attention all at once. So how do we navigate these emotions so that we're not taking them out on our kids, so that we are enjoying the moments we have with them, even the moments that we get to cook and be on our own and do that sort of thing? And of course, how do we teach them about emotions so that they will survive their own roller coaster ride through life? Dr. Susan David is a psychologist, mum of two, and author of the book Emotional Agility. She's been researching emotions, achievement, and happiness for over 20 years. And she says there are some very practical ways we can handle our emotions. Hi, Susan. How are you? Hi. I'm so grateful to be here. Your book is called Emotional Agility. What is that and why is it so important? Emotional agility is effectively the ability to be with ourselves in ways that allow us to act in the way that we truly want to be in the world. So that involves a couple of things. It involves firstly, not always trying to be happy all the time and not always trying to be positive because we know that that is paradoxically associated with higher levels of stress and lower levels of happiness. So it's really about being able to be uh, courageous and compassionate and curious with your own emotions, your own stories, and to still be able to make choices that are not reactive, but responsive, that you are acting in ways that are connected with your values and who you want to be in every aspect of your life, how you love, how you live, how you parent and how you lead. So one of the things in what you said there that I can really relate to is uh, in terms of looking at our emotions... When it's a negative emotion, the first thing you want to do is push it away and deny it. But what's your approach to that? Absolutely. So, of course, so much of our narrative in the world is about being happy. You know, just think positive, just be happy. And if you think happy thoughts, good things will come to you. But what we know is that people who seek out happiness as a goal actually become more unhappy over time because they tend to do one of two things. The first is what you suggested, which is, push the emotions aside. I've just got to get on with it. I've got so much to do and I'm just going to ignore it. The other is uh, what we call brooding. So what you described was bottling and brooding is the opposite where we dwell in our emotions. And in both of those situations, really the emotions are calling the shots. Uh, We are reacting according to what we think our emotions are telling us to do or not do. And What's fascinating with that is, firstly, we know that there's what is called amplification. Parents, all of us, have that experience of pushing aside, pushing aside, pushing aside stress, and then letting rip and often (laughs) reacting in a way that is disproportionate to the child's actual misdemeanor or crime in this situation. So what's much more important is to lay down any struggle with yourself, with whether you should or shouldn't be happy all the time, but rather be able to recognize that 
no one gets to climb Mount Everest and experience that as a walk in the park. And what I mean by this is that almost any aspect of meaningful activity that we take on in our lives, whether it's in our career or in our parenting, brings with it a level of discomfort and brings with it a level of stress. So stress isn't all bad. Sometimes it's the price we pay for a meaningful life. So to be more compassionate with ourselves and to not force ourselves into ways of thinking and being that are actually at odds with how we truly feel is a first part of emotional agility. And there are other critical parts as well. With that, I think one thing that most parents will relate to is if you're explaining something that's challenging about parenthood with your own children, whether it's something specific about their behavior or the fact that you're not getting any sleep, nearly every parent always ends that complaint with, but they're worth it or I love them. And there's this need parents feel, I think, to always qualify the bad stuff with the good so that that's just something we do as parents. Is that part of what you're talking about in terms of saying, you know, being a parent, it's not always going to be fun? Being a parent is not always going to be fun, but so often what we do is we wrap ourselves up into what I call have-to goals. So I have to get dinner on the table now, or I have to get the kids out the door. And of course, we do have to do those things. That is the reality. Um, But what we sometimes do is we climb into those stories so much that we start to feel that they're a prison around us. We become confined by them. And we actually forget the want to in our have to. In other words, what is the value that you're trying to convey to your children in this particular context? Or uh, what is the value of family or community that brings you to having children in the first place? And so if we can connect with those parts of ourselves, those parts that we often leave when we are feeling stressed, it can be really profound. And so, for example, you talk about cooking and how cooking is often a stressful experience as a parent. You know, very often then what someone does is they'll be cooking, but they'll be on their phone and they'll be trying to manage the situation. And so there's this multitasking that happens. And if we think about that kind of situation that have to goal, are there ways that we can make tweaks to that situation that would allow it to be less fraught? That would actually enable us to feel that that time is experienced as quality. So, for example, listening to an audiobook with your children while you cook, playing music or dancing, you know, really recognizing that it doesn't all need to be wonderful, it doesn't all need to be good, and that's fine. There are also small ways that we can recall our values and our want-to goals in situations that we find difficult and that if we surface these can really be freeing to us. Values, obviously, is a big part of your book and working out what your values are. Can you give us some examples of what people might see as their core values? Because it's not something that we often think about. So often we get what I call hooked into ways of being that don't serve us. So, for example, we might feel stressed and so be on our phone or we feel undermined at work, a completely different example, and so we shut down. And so what's happening there is there's no space between stimulus and response. You know, there's this very powerful quotation from Viktor Frankl, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose, and it's in that choice that comes our growth and freedom. A really critical aspect of our ability to be agile in a very complex, technologically driven and fraught world is about being able to recognize who am I and what do I stand for? You know, what is important to me? So, for example, the kinds of values that people might bring is they might say, 
you know, I recognize that collaboration is really important or I recognize that community is really important. And if I can think of community and then how I'm creating a sense of community in my family or if collaboration is really important, how am I collaborating in my meal prep as opposed to simply constructing and being involved in a situation that feels difficult for me and difficult for my children. So those are the kinds of values that uh, parents talk to. And of course, I always feel a sense of anxiety almost even in having these conversations because I know with my own children, all of us as parents are doing the best we can with who we are, with what we've got in the world. You know, it's really important to be compassionate towards ourselves, recognizing that we are trying to do the best we can. You're listening to Kindling Conversation, and I'm speaking with Dr. Susan David, who's the author of a book called Emotional Agility. She's been researching emotions, achievement, and happiness for over 20 years. We're just talking about what emotional agility means, and we're just, of course, skimming the top of this because I'm sure there is so much more we we can't possibly get to today. Susan, one of the things that I'm really interested in is relationships between a couple once they have children. Because sometimes after you have kids, that relationship can really change. It can be a a lot harder than before kids because you can be sleep deprived, run down. All of a sudden you've got little beings that seem to suck all your love and care and patience. And then you turn to your partner, you've got nothing left. How can parents approach their relationships in that instance with emotional agility? So I think a really first important part of this is to, again, be kind to yourself and to not be in a situation where you are self-flagellating because you don't feel or do. You know, there are no good or bad emotions. Our emotions, whether they are jealousy or anger or anxiety or even physiological states like tiredness, are very real. But I think one thing that's really critical to recognize is Um, you know, who's in charge here, the thinker or the thought. And so often when we're in relationships, we get into stages where we are feeling tired and the thought is in charge. So for example, my husband's starting in on the finances and so I'm going to leave the room or I'm so stressed and so I'm just going to have it out with him because he said such and such or she said said such and such as, as a wife or a spouse or a partner. And I think if we can create some space, recognizing that um, our emotions contain really important data to our physical well-being, uh, reminding us to sleep when we can, to exercise when we can, to create pockets of space for ourselves when we can, that's really important. Another thing that I think is critical here is I do talk about values in emotional agility. And one of the things that I describe is this idea of choice points that often when we think about values, values seem very abstract. But every day we have hundreds of these choice points that we face, very often with our partners. So for example, our partner comes home from work and we are busy doing the cooking. Our partner might say to us, how was your day? And without even looking up from what we're doing, we might grunt a fine. Now in that moment, that small choice point, which might take you away from your value of how you want to be in your relationship might seem like not a big deal. But if you put all of those different tiny, tiny, tiny interactions together, you create a very different movie of your relationship in the end. And so I talk in emotional agility about how it's so powerful to find tiny instances, what I call tiny tweaks in your life, where you shut down, 
to that hug instead of opening up. You turn your back instead of facing forward. You may try to fix something instead of showing up and listening. And sometimes it's not about more effort. It's about making choices, tiny choices, that you recognize in your patterns are not serving your relationship and seeing how you can tweak those so that they're more aligned with how you want to be in that interaction. So one of the things I know that um, most parents are really consciously aware of is teaching their children about their emotions. And we have this word emotion coaching where we name how children feel so that they can understand their feelings. How does this translate into the work that you do when it comes to teaching our kids how to be emotionally agile? So it is a critical, it's critical. Our kids' ability to navigate emotions through their life is the bedrock of resilience, grit, thriving, self-regulation, self-motivation. I mean, every capability that we can think of, emotions fundamentally are at the core to this. And there's some critical aspects that we know that are very practical as well. The first is that so often when our children come home from school and they say, no one would play with me or Jack wouldn't invite me to his party, so I'm not going to invite Jack to my party. What our kids are doing there is they are often feeling pain. We might not be feeling that same pain, but they are feeling jealousy or anger or sadness. And with the best of intentions, often what we try to do is we try to jump in and help our children to feel good. Don't worry, I'll play with you. Let's go back cupcakes. Let me phone the mean girl's parents and make a play date. What we do when we react in this way is that we actually take from our children the ability for them to learn a couple of really core ideas. Number one, that emotions pass. When someone is jumping in and fixing our emotions, we don't get the opportunity to recognize that this is what sadness feels like and now I'm no longer sad, my emotions passed. Another aspect to this is that jumping in and trying to fix emotions is often leaving a child feeling unseen. And I know, again, that's not our intention. But what we know from the research is that simply being able to show up to your child. In South Africa, we have this word saubona, which is a Zulu greeting. It means hello, hello, hello. But really what it means is I see you. I see you. And by seeing you, I bring you into being. So a core part of uh, emotional agility is recognizing that our children's full range of emotions are emotions that they are going to be experiencing throughout their lives. And so if we can help them start feeling comfortable with sometimes difficult and uncomfortable emotions, that's critical. Second very quick point is helping your child to label their emotions. From the age of two or three, we know that children are able to differentiate between sad versus angry versus frustrated, for example. So this labeling is critical and is associated with, again, lifelong well-being. Third is asking your kids more questions about who do they want to be in this situation. When a child says, I don't want to invite Jack to my birthday party, there's no space between stimulus and response. When you show up to them, when you help them to label their emotions, and then when you start saying, who do you want to be as a friend? What does a good friend look like to you? What does this mean in the context of your birthday party? What you are helping your child to do is to develop their own value set and their own character. And that becomes a critical, critical compass when the child moves through life and experiences upsets, disappointments, 
drugs being offered to them and so on. This ability to have a sense of who they are and what they stand for becomes fundamental. It's so fascinating, Susan. We could speak all day. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for inviting me. That's Dr. Susan David. She's a psychologist and author of the book Emotional Agility, and we'll pop a link up to that book on our website. Just head to kindling.com.au. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.